Excited to get into the message, into the Word of God this morning. We are still chugging along in our series on Back to the Basics, and today is the second message on the Bible, on the Word of God. And we are going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 8 through 14. Maybe it's been a while since you've cracked open the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes is a really, really awesome and amazing book. It's actually famous for, you know, several idioms and sayings that we still have uh, in the Western world today. We definitely have them in English. I mean, the Bible is full of those, right? But Ecclesiastes has a few, like one, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. If somebody's ever said that to you, they were actually quoting Ecclesiastes to you. Even if they do not claim to be a Christian or a part of the Christian faith, they were quoting the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, maybe one that's a little less used, maybe your grandparents use it, you know, they're a fly in the ointment, that's also from Ecclesiastes. You're like, a fly in the ointment. I don't, okay, I don't use that one very much either. But it is a popular saying amongst much older people, probably. And, uh, but perhaps one of the most famous, and, and it's the verse that heads up the passage for today, is in the ESV, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. And if you grew up uh, reading from the New International Version, the NIV, which I did since I was uh, in high school when I became a Christian, you might be more familiar with the term meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Uh, real downer, right? <laughs> kind of real downer of a book. Actually, uh, this is a refrain that occurs throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, it's in the middle of the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's here at the very end, verses 8 through 14. These are the last, one, two, three, last seven verses of the book. So he's closing off this book of Ecclesiastes by once again saying, vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now, what's going on? Who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Uh, it is, the person who wrote it claims that he is Solomon, the son of David. Now, it could be Solomon. It's very possible. Or it could be somebody who just used the moniker of Solomon to try to teach spiritual truth. Um, and, and people knew that it wasn't Solomon. But he was using Solomon's identity to teach a spiritual truth. Either way, um, whoever it was, he has a lot to say to us. He's called the preacher. In Hebrew, it's Kohelet. That's, that's what they call him, Kohelet. So I'll call him Kohelet, the preacher. And so he finishes his book of Ecclesiastes saying that everything is vanity, everything is meaningless. Now this is a big deal because when you go through the journey of a book of Ecclesiastes, what you find is this person, Kohelet, tried everything in life in order to find meaning and purpose. This was a man on a mission. He was on a quest to live life to the fullest, and he tried everything in order to find it. That's what the book is, is about. This guy, Kohelet, he tried knowledge, pleasure, achievement, wealth. 
He tried all of it. In the, in, the, in the end, his conclusion was, it's meaningless. None of it brings fulfillment. For example, in chapter 1, near the beginning, he says this, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So he wanted to gain knowledge. He wanted to understand the world and how it works and to learn more. But he says, for in much wisdom is much vexation, feeling vexed, feeling frustrated. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. That's his conclusion about trying to find meaning and purpose through gaining knowledge. I don't know about you, but I think many of us may do that very same thing. We have so much knowledge available at our fingertips now, don't we? But don't we feel a sense of information overload and burnout, trying to keep up with, with all the news? Maybe you try to keep up with politics, um, trying to keep up with your Twitter feed, trying to keep up with your podcast that you follow and your YouTube subscriptions, trying to keep up with the books that are in your field of study or your work or your hobbies or your interests, and there's always another bestseller, there's always another must-read, there's long-form articles on the internet, there's so much stuff, so much knowledge available, yet there's an increasing sense of information overload and burnout and inability to keep up with all of this knowledge. Kohelet gave his heart, gave his soul to growing in knowledge. Maybe that's what will give me real meaning in life. If I can know more, if I can be smart and intelligent and understand everything that happens under the sun, yet the result is, he says, there's nothing new under the sun. It's meaningless. It's vanity. He said to himself, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. So whether through food, uh, through, through money and things that he could buy and through sex and, and all of these things, he said, maybe the purpose of life, I will really feel alive if I don't deny myself anything. And whatever I crave, I have. And he tried that. That's the mantra of this world, of this society we live in now, right? Don't deny yourself. If you want something, go for it. You only live once, YOLO. Let's get it. Go get it. But he tried it. And he said, it's meaningless. In the end, it leaves you empty. It is vanity. He said, let me try achievement and success. I made great works. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Kohelet said, let me try and just accomplish great things. 
And he said he built great buildings and public works. And he was the great, nobody was greater than him in the history of Jerusalem. And if it was Solomon, you know that Solomon was the richest person on earth at the time of his reign. So there was nothing he couldn't build. But as he did all of that, and he saw all that he accomplished, and everybody saw all that he accomplished, he said it was meaningless. It was like striving after wind, like trying to grasp the wind. You can't do it. It's so frustrating. You can't achieve it. Maybe some of us, we are so busy as well trying to succeed in life and to achieve great things. We want to see ourselves actualized in this world. We want to feel like we've done something, like we've made an impact. But we're so busy striving. Maybe some of us, we don't even know why we're doing it. We don't know why we're doing it. And truth be told, if we were to look deep down within, we're doing it because we want other people to recognize us. We want other people to say that we're a success that you've achieved something, and we live for that, and that's what we're seeking. Ask yourself this question. Will that ever end? This anxiety, this stress that you feel to try to be successful in the eyes of your peers or your friends or this world, will that ever end? After you get your three degrees behind your your name, your title, after you make, get that job where you make a lot of money, maybe you're your own boss, after you succeed and accomplish all these things and travel to all these different places, will you no longer seek recognition from others? Will you be able to rest from that? Absolutely not. You think you're going to just let yourself fall to the wayside and let everybody applaud the, young, the new young buck that comes along and now is achieving things and succeeding and doing things? No. You're going to find new ways to get people to say, you are somebody. Wow, look at you until your dying day. And it is a life filled with stress, anxiety, and a striving after the wind. It's a life on the hamster wheel that spins and spins and spins and never ends. Somebody explained it to me once this way when I was talking to somebody and he was telling me about the stress that he was feeling. He said it was like, it's like ducks that you see on a pond. They look so calm as they're floating around, but underneath the surface of the water, they are paddling furiously, furiously with their feet just to go anywhere. He said that's what he feels like. You got to look good. You got to look like you got everything under control and you know how to manage life. But underneath, within your heart, you're churning and churning and churning, stressed, anxious, always trying to perform and to succeed. Is that how you want to live? Kohelet says he tried that and it's meaningless. It doesn't result in anything. One last one here. He says he tried money. He says, He who loves money 
will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. This guy had a lot of money. If it was Solomon, we know he had a lot of money. He says he tried making himself happy and feel a sense of meaning by money and having more money and and being able to use his money. But he said, in the end, this doesn't buy happiness and this doesn't buy meaning. There was an article in the Atlantic Monthly years ago, and it was called Secret Fears of the Super Rich. Before you roll your eyes, the super rich have fears as well. And it was a survey of 120 people who are worth $25 million or more. Now, this was written years ago, right, before inflation, before past few decades. So maybe it's like $50 million today or something like that. The respondents, this is what the article says, the respondents turn out to be a generally dissatisfied lot whose money has contributed to deep anxieties involving love, work, and family. Indeed, they are frequently dissatisfied even with their sizable fortunes. Most of them still do not consider themselves financially secure. For that, they say, they would require on average one quarter more wealth than they currently possess. They'd still need another $7.25 million. And then I will feel secure. Then I will feel like I have enough. Or inflation adjusted, 50 million, I need another $12.5 million. Then I will feel secure. Do you think that's true? Or do you think that this just won't end? And it won't give them that sense of security. It won't give them that sense of meaningness, meaningfulness and happiness. Somebody from our congregation actually shared with me recently this um, uh, post from a website called Blind, which is an anonymous professional network. A lot of you, uh, you by the laughter, I could tell a lot of you guys are, are on this. And uh, this post was titled, $1 million total compensation, but no happiness. I think this person works at LinkedIn. <laughs> so it's, it's posted online, okay? If you worked at LinkedIn, pay attention. It says this, spouse and I earn a million yearly. We are 35 years old with two kids. Happiness besides kids is barely existent, stuck in a rut and can't get out. We got to start our home in the East Bay in original condition in 2017. Too much and too antique to continue living here. Anything half decent that's 2,000 plus square feet in a good school district is two plus million dollars. Again, this is four years ago. 2.5, anyone? (laughs) Our way of life makes it impossible to get ourselves to spend this much money. Our social life is here, so moving to a place like Seattle or Austin is not an option. I know you've thought about it. Not to mention sunshine is very important for our mental health. Amen. I can agree with that. To get a taste of, quote, money buys happiness, unquote, I started to buy expensive things car, TV, gadgets, but it was useless. No time to buy experiences. After kids, I have far less motivation and passion for work. A lot of my mental energy is spent on them, so I have less to offer at work, so promotion and career progression are leap years away. Changing jobs and meeting expectations is nearly impossible. 
Again, titled, $1 million, total compensation, but no happiness. Kohelet had a lot more than that. And he would agree, and he says, money will not buy you happiness. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Kohelet experienced all of these things. Kohelet is like the, the Dosakis spokesman, the most interesting man in the world, right? He's done it all. He has it all. He's tried it all. And nothing filled him. So what did he conclude? Where did he go after this? He says this. This is where he ended up. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. What did Kohelet become passionate about? Where did he end up? after everything else led to emptiness and a dead end, he devoted himself to seeking true wisdom and passing it on to others. That's what he devoted himself to. He said, after trying everything else, I don't want just more knowledge, more pleasure, more achievement, more wealth. I want to be truly wise. I want to understand and know what is truly important in life. I want to be a wise person. And I want to devote myself, and actually this is what Ecclesiastes, the book is for, I want to devote myself to writing words that are thoughtfully crafted, that contained much wisdom so that I could pass this on to other people, to younger people, to people who may be trying to experience the things that I sought for before, to let them know what true wisdom is. That's what he devoted himself to. The pursuit of wisdom and passing it on to other people. Friends, I think in our world and in society, we, we, we have an innate sense that there's truth in this, that there's something right about this, that, that really in life, what we don't need is more stuff and money and experiences, and what we need is wisdom in order to know how to live right. Hollywood portrays it like this all the time. If you, if you think about these, like, wise characters in Hollywood, think about the people that are often chosen as wise. Yoda, Gandalf, Obi-Wan, Miyagi. I miss Miyagi so much when I watch Cobra Kai. I miss him so much. If only he would be able, able to be in it. But we look at these guys, what do they have in common? What are some things they have in common? They don't speak much, right? They don't say much, but when they speak, 
it packs a punch. There's oomph behind it. There's wisdom. They don't waste words. But when they speak, there is wisdom. A lifetime of figuring out what is truly worth pursuing ends up in being like that. Not wasteful with your words, but speaking words of true wisdom that really matter. They also tend to be quite choosy about how they spend their time. Oftentimes, the, the young disciple or Padawan or somebody needs to come and say, help me, help me, the world is about to explode. And they're like, ah, I don't know if you really are seeking truth. They're very choosy about their time. They also tend to be quite content. They don't look like they have a lot of money. Look at the way they dress. They all shop at the same place. They don't need much. Yoda lives in a swamp. They don't need much. They've realized that life does not consist, one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions, as even the Bible says. They also tend to not strive anymore. I mean, when you look at these guys in like the most terrible situations, right, at, in, in the moments of greatest conflict, they're always one cool cat, right? They're not breaking a sweat. Whether it's Miyagi facing Kreese or, or Yoda, you know, and Anakin saying, the world's about to blow up and the universe is going to get destroyed. He's like, ah, alone leave me. Okay, I don't know if that's what he said. There's no sweat. They're not striving. They're not anxious. They're not in a rush. They are so calm, cool, and collected because that is what wisdom produces. A life of focus upon the things that are truly important, not being driven by other people's agendas or anxiety or what other people think of you or stress. This is why Kohelet says, pursue wisdom. Wisdom is what is important, most important, to be able to live a life of meaning. He goes on in, in verse 11, he talks about where this wisdom comes from. The words of the wise are like goads and like firm and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. That one shepherd, of course, is God. Kohelet, what he is saying is that true wisdom, all true wisdom comes from God. Even wisdom in this world, even Hollywood wisdom, when they tap into something that is true, they may not know where it comes from. They may say it's not from God. They may hate God. But all true wisdom comes from God. And Kohelet is telling us it comes from one shepherd. And the wisdom that Kohelet wrote, the Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes ultimately ended up in the Bible itself the true wisdom of God is in His Word, the Bible. By reading it, we gain wisdom to live a life of purpose 
and of meaning. This is where it's from, this book. It tells us everything. It tells us all that we need to know to be able to live a life of purpose. But it's not easy to read. Perhaps one reason we don't like to read it is because it can be painful. This is why he says the words of the wise are like goads. What's a goad? A goad is a sharp little pointy thing that you put on the end of a stick to drive your flock along. When your sheep is wandering off in the wrong way or your cattle, you've got to give it a poke. And it's like, ow, I don't like that. Okay, I'll turn the other way. It's a goad. It pokes you a little bit and it hurts so that the flock moves in the right direction. Perhaps we don't read the Bible. We don't like reading the Bible because, like I talked about last week, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it cuts to the deepest part of ourselves, and sometimes that cutting hurts. It hurts. We get poked. We don't like that. We don't like what it says about money and how we need to view and understand that all of what we have belongs to God and we are only stewards. We don't like what it says about sex and how it should be reserved within God's design of marriage. And so we said, no, we'd, we'd rather have sex with who we want to, when we want to. We don't like what it says about identity, that our identity should be in being a child of God and found nowhere else. We don't want that. We want to continue pursuing the things that make people praise us and give us a sense of being somebody. We don't like what it says about surrendering control of our lives. No, we want control we want to feel like we know what's coming in the future and we can control it. We don't like these things and we get poked by it. It hurts. So maybe we'd prefer not to read it. But Kohelet says the word of God that can give us meaning in life, it's like a goad sometimes. It'll poke us, it may hurt. But as it says in Proverbs 9.8, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove, correct a wise man and he will love you. Why? Because he knows that being poked by the word of God is good for his and her soul. It keeps them on the right path, the path of a life of meaning. He goes on and he says, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. It's a good thing the youth group is not in here, or else the parents would be hearing it next time you tell them to do their homework. Mom, Dad, study is a weariness of the flesh. The Bible says so. Good thing they're not here this morning what would you say to them? Kohelet says that, you know, when you add beyond the Bible, not that you shouldn't be a well-read person or read other things, that's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that there is no end to the knowledge that is out there, the books that are being written. There is no end to the information that you can get. But the Bible... How much time do you spend reading the Scriptures versus keeping up with the news? 
politics, social media, your Twitter feed, the articles, the podcasts. How much time do we spend in the Word of God that can give us meaning in life versus all these other things of which there is no end? And ultimately, it brings about a weariness. Paul said to Timothy that there are people out there who are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. I think that describes maybe some of us here. I think it describes the ethos of Silicon Valley in many ways. We're always learning always gaining more information, always seeking more knowledge, maybe always seeking more degrees or more certifications or more titles, but not ever arriving at a knowledge of the truth. The truth is found in the Word of God, the Bible. And this is why Kohelet ends here, these verses. He says, the end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, 12 chapters, the final two verses. Coming from a man who's tried it all, what is his conclusion? He says, this is the end of the matter. After everything I've said and I've done, this is the conclusion. It all boils down to this. Everything has been heard. We've talked about it all. What does it boil down to in the very end? Fear God and keep His commandments. Keep His Word. The Bible. For this is the whole duty of Man, this is everything. This is our purpose. I know it makes it sound like, oh, does that mean Christians are just so, you know, uh, provincial and, and, and just don't read? And No, that's not what he's saying. But he's boiling it all down and saying this book, this is the end of it. This is the whole duty of mankind is to read this book, to humble ourselves before it, and to let it work through us and to become a person of the Bible, a person of true wisdom. Because when you do this, you will experience a life that is well-lived, full of wisdom and purpose. He doesn't want you one day to cry meaningless meaningless. My life, what was it? Gosh, what did I waste my time on pursuing? Was this really worth it in the end? It's meaningless, all of this. He's doing that for us. He's telling us what it's all about. There's a famous saying, youth is wasted on the young. And it's a bit unfair. Because that's what you do when you're young. You're youthful. You're immature. You're dumb. You, you have to learn, right? Youth is, that's what happens when you're youthful, when you're young. 
But, but Kohelet, the purpose of this book is what he's saying. Is he saying, yes, but, but I am here to tell you what I've learned in my life. Please listen, young people. Please listen so that when you hear my wisdom and what I'm telling you, you don't have to waste your youth or, or you don't have to waste another day. You don't have to waste another moment of your life. You can live a life of meaning and purpose. That is what he is telling us. Friends, how sure are you that you're doing in life what matters? How sure are you? Be honest with yourself. How sure are you that you are living a life of purpose and meaning? How sure are you that one day on your deathbed you will say, I lived a life that counted? If you're not sure, it is worth everything to be sure of that. You may say, oh, but Ulysses, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so busy, you know, with my, my kids. Don't I need to take care of my kids? I need to do that. Yes, you do. But what really matters is raising up kids who love the Lord, who are in the Lord, so that they live a life that matters. You say, Ulysses, but I, I, I work, I, I'm busy, I, I got to put food on the table, don't I? Yes, you do, we all do. But there's a fine line between putting food on the table and becoming the food on the table for the enemy when your work in, becomes your idol. There's a fine line between all these things, between a life of meaninglessness and a life of meaning and purpose. William Carey, father of modern Protestant missions, he said something really powerful. He spent 41 years in India as a missionary. He said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. How sure are you? that what you are doing with your life right now really matters. Kohelet has told us you can be sure because God has given us his word that tells us how to live a life of meaning and purpose. Israel failed to do this in the Old Testament times. They failed to fear God and keep His commandments. Their hearts were hardened, and they did what they wanted. But brothers and sisters, friends, in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us that gives us the power to be able to say, yes, Lord, I will take up and read, and I will let your word work through me so that my life is meaningful, meaningful, meaningful. Let me close with one of my favorite poems by T.S. Eliot from the Four Quartets. He says this, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Through the unknown 
remembered gate, when the last of earth left to discover, is that which was the beginning. At the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall, and the children in the apple tree, not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard, in the stillness between two waves of the sea. Brothers and sisters, when will you cease from your exploration, from your striving, from your pursuit of something out there to give you meaning and purpose in life? It's not there, but it was here all along. At the beginning of your journey, at the beginning of your relationship with Christ, it was in His Word all along. But we need to still ourselves before the Word to truly listen, to let it work through us so that our life becomes meaningful so that when Jesus returns, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have lived a meaningful, meaningful, meaningful life. Let's stand. Let's pray as we respond to God's word this morning. I know, I'm sure that some of you, when you think about the Bible, even when I hold it up, there's a feeling, we would never say this out loud probably, but there's a kind of an innate feeling in our heart that it's an old-fashioned book. How can that possibly be all that I need and how I can really experience meaning in life? But it is. It is God's very word for us. And my prayer for all of us, myself included, is that we would come to the Word of God afresh, renewed, to sit down at the feet of God's Word, to read, to allow space for the Holy Spirit to speak to us through those words, to cut us deep to the heart, to teach us true wisdom and what life is really about. And as we do that, brothers and sisters, and as we live according to his word, what you will find is that you will find purpose. You will find meaning. You will find rest for your soul. How long will you go on striving how long will you go on stressing? Come to the feet of God so that we can learn how to live a life at rest and at peace, but full of purpose and meaning as well. So God, we pray, would you renew that call within our hearts, God, to come to your word, Lord, would you renew that desire, renew that passion, Lord, so that we can be transformed, 
so that we can live the, the few years that we have on this earth really making it count, God. Hallelujah, Lord God. We praise you. We thank you. Let's worship the Lord together.